0: I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance & Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. On December 15th, we gathered online for our first Beyond the Skyline Festival, a live event where listeners could connect with business leaders, commercial real estate professionals, and other experts to discuss the tumultuous legislative session and ramifications of the bonding bill and take a look at what lay ahead in the Twin Cities commercial real estate market in the midst of pandemic and economic slowdown. In this episode, part one of two, listen to our discussion about commercial real estate in 2020 and a look ahead at some of the trends that will carry into 2021. Our panelists were Lisa Christensen of Christensen and Company, Brent Erickson of Newmark Knight Frank, And Joe Sparks, president of the St. Paul Building Owners and Managers Association. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Today's panel, um, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We have a lot to talk about, and I appreciate all of you for joining me. Um, Joining me on the panel today uh, right now is Joe Sparks. He's the president at the Greater St. Paul Building Owners and Managers Association. We have Lisa Christensen, the owner of Christensen & Company. And we have Brent Erickson, Senior Managing Director of Newmark Knight Frank. And thank you all for joining me this morning. Um, So to start us off, we could talk about a a lot of different things. Um, A lot has happened in the commercial real estate space. But I'd like to throw it to Joe first and have him hit some high points from a recent study that looked at commercial real estate um, across the industry or across the whole country and in specific uh, regions of our country. And that study looked at the impact of COVID on commercial real estate. And I think that'll set the table for our discussion. So Joe, I'll throw it over to you.
1: (laughs) All right, Joel, thank you. And good morning. And uh, thanks for uh, having me here as part of this panel this morning. Appreciate that. Um, What I'm going to do is uh, present some broad-based information from, uh, as Joel indicated, this national study that was done. But preceding that, I'm just going to touch for a couple of minutes on some localized data uh, that happens to involve downtown St. Paul, which is where I am right now, obviously, right? Um, So each year, BOMA conducts a uh, market report, as we call it, St. Paul Downtown Office Market Report, and we released that uh, a few months ago. Um, just takes a look at snapshot uh, view of the downtown St. Paul market. We've been doing it for about 26 years. And so, you know, we, we cover some of the, the, the key points, you know, what's the universe look like, total square footage, vacancy rates, things like that, that one would expect in, in such a report. And going into it, the, the team that uh, works and massages the data after we go out and get surveys from buildings and get the information back in, you know, this was uh, midsummer. Uh, we, we actually cut the information off at the end of the summer, um, September 1. And so here it is right after Labor Day, where we're looking at the, starting to look at the information. But going in, our expectation is well, okay, how did COVID impact us, right? Um, you know, there's, there's very few people in downtown St. Paul uh, right now, which is common of, of urban areas. And so what, what's going to be the impact? And so we walked away uh, after we went through the numbers multiple times um, surprised because they ticked uh, upward from a standpoint of improvement. Um, Vacancy rates actually went down. Um, So, you know, downtown St. Paul has about uh, a little over 15 million um, square feet in its universe. About half of that is um, competitive office space in the downtown area and um, it stayed stable. Uh, it didn't change from 2019 to 2020, but the vacancy rate did drop. It dropped from about 21 percent down to around 18 percent, a little above 18 percent. And so again, that wasn't what we were expecting. We thought we'd see an uptick in that vacancy rate, or you know, best case scenario, it'd stay flat, not go down. And so I think uh, really what was going on there, you know, why, you know, we kept on saying why. Um, what was going on there, There's some really positive activity that was taking place prior to the pandemic sweeping in in March. And so thus, when we uh, did a snapshot of where everything was at, people are still already locked in their leases and there there's no changes really taking place for the most part. Yeah, people aren't physically in their offices, but the leases are still intact. And so therefore, it uh, showed this positive improvement in terms of what was going on down in downtown St. Paul. So I think Um, The the lesson from that is that we can make assumptions about what we think the impact of COVID is, uh, will be. Um, We don't know until we actually start going through some data and really pouring through the numbers and and need time also, because it could very well be the numbers I just uh, referenced won't hold up over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months as the tail of the pandemic, uh, you know, continues. And we're still feeling the effects of that in downtown St. Paul, but that's kind of just a small measure. And so what I wanna do now is step back from that hey, a little Joe, bit. This is,
2: this is Brent, yeah, can I interrupt yeah. you for a second? Yeah, did please. You, did they talk about sublease space at all? You know, sublease space has been an element that uh, there's been more sublease space in the market. Generally, did that happen in St. Paul also?
1: Uh, surprisingly, no, you know, you would, you would think again, you know, that, that, that would be, uh, one of the elements of the pandemic and it actually dropped from 2019, not by a great amount, but by a little bit. Um, so, uh, you know, so there were three or four factors that we're expecting, we're expecting to happen. We were predicting what happened as a result of the pandemic and we didn't see any of them play out. So again, um, we, we, we gotta be careful what we're assuming because of, because of the pandemic. So um, anyways, good question though. So in looking at um, more national data, there's this outfit uh, consulting firm called Brightline Strategies. They're based out in DC, technically they're in uh, Arlington, Virginia, but they you know, kind of uh, are part of that whole DC mix out there. And uh, they've been involved in the commercial real estate industry, uh, gathering data, doing surveys for you know, five, six, seven years now and are beginning to really establish a strong name in terms of uh, their data gathering ability. And so early on in the pandemic, they went out and they did a survey um, of a a concentrated East Coast survey of about four or five markets out there, uh, just to kind of get a sense of what was going on, um, pulled their data in during the month of April and uh, crunched it down. And and then they presented it as part of this BOMA International Um, meeting that took place in July. And, um, you know, Bowman International was really curious as to what was going to come out of that. Uh, After learning some of the results, they met with Brightline Strategies uh, and they said, you know what, we want to help you do a follow-up study, kind of a phase two, but it's going to be national in scope. You know, let's get into all these different markets. Uh, Bowman's in 93 different markets across the U.S. Let's work with our locals, let's get out there. And so Brightline was, yeah, great idea, let's do that. And so during the course of the summer uh, into the early fall, they went out, they surveyed over 3000 tenants and corporate um, real estate entities uh, across the US in in all the regions and pulled together um, pretty much a repeat of their initial survey, uh, added a few uh, new questions on because again, this is a dynamic situation, this pandemic, uh, and then um, was able to go ahead and crunch that information down and just recently released it. So uh, there are some real fascinating kinds of uh, results that have come out of that. Let me share with you uh, a a few of those. And so, you know, prior to us getting on here, you know, we were having a little chat about uh, the uh, technology platforms and how we're using those, and, and everybody is obviously um, uh, leveraging those, we're we're doing it right now, you know, to be able to deliver this meeting, and so um, you know you begin to wonder, um, boy, everybody's getting all comfortable with those. We're, we're we're using those on a regular basis. What does that mean to office space? And that's obviously a concern uh, to commercial real estate. It's a concern to Bowman International. It's concerned to many folks uh, who are out there. How vital is office space? now that not only are we in the pandemic, but once the pandemic is done and people have been trained and are comfortable with using this technology platform, do they they still see the same importance level with office space? And so that was a a key question that was asked of this survey and the results came back that 75% of the respondents, again, these are tenants primarily, but some corporate real estate entities came back and said, yeah, office space Physical office space away from a person's home is still vital to the operation of our business. So um, there might be some changes as a result of uh, going through the pandemic, but you know clearly a strong majority of uh, the respondents are saying that you know we still need office space. Office space is not going away. It's still going to be uh, a, a key element of the mix. And so you know what I. Um, Uh, encourage folks to be thinking about, you know, kind of again, looking at that St. Paul data, you know, uh, surprise, surprise, what came out of it. I I would suggest that we do the same thing with whatever information I'm sharing now, because what we're doing now is we're sharing information kind of in the middle of the storm. Maybe hopefully we're we're more than halfway through it, so to speak. Um, But, you know, everything will be much clearer 12 months from now, two years from now, than it is today. We're, we're doing our best guess with some of this information today, what the panel will be talking about, you know, what we've learned over the course of X number of months, but it still is a guess and no one will know for sure exactly how this all plays out. But uh, again, I think what we can take from from that particular item is that strong majority of the um, respondents still say office space is still really, really critical, okay? Um, another key, uh, finding that came out of the survey that uh, it impacts uh, a number of players uh, today is when do people want to get back into the office, okay? Um, you know, as, as where most of us are aware of, downtown urban areas, I, I don't have a number and maybe uh, the other panelists would have this, but downtown urban areas are running 10 to 15% uh, a level of occupancy in terms of people in the office space itself. That's, that's consistent across uh, most of the country. It's gonna vary a little bit from, from one market, one region to the other, but those numbers are relatively valid uh, across. So when are people gonna feel it's okay to go back in the water, so to speak, right? Um, and so based upon this survey, not saying, you know, you've been vaccinated, you have been vaccinated, but you know, again, Um, are you gonna be comfortable at the appropriate point when health officials say, hey, you know, green light. Um, So 65% of decision makers saying, yep, uh, want to get back to the office. They're probably even more aggressive than than, uh, the employees, but you know, they they want to get back to the office the sooner the better. uh, Whereas employees are a little bit less than that. They're about 59% want to get back into the office. So again, and we're not saying that um, that's on a full-time basis, but uh, clearly there's value to be had from being back at your office, your, your workstation, however it is uh, you have your office uh, configured and uh, a, strong, uh, a strong indicator is that there there's so many employees that want to get back there. Um, any thoughts or comments from others uh, in terms of their observation of that?
2: Yeah, Joe, this is Brent. Uh, I would agree with your perspective that uh, a lot of what's going to happen in the future is going to be based on when companies really feel comfortable getting back into the office. Um, the you, know, you were referencing a national study and, and I'd tell you from a boots on the ground local standpoint, pre-vaccine businesses were trying to figure out what it looked like if they were going to get back in the office. And, and it was more trying to understand protocols and who was essential and who wasn't. And trying to figure that Rubik's cube out was challenging. And now that there's the vaccine news, I think companies are looking at it from a whole different light. I think uh, as we're talking to people boots on the ground, a lot feel that they still, as you said, the statistics bore out, we're gonna need office space. We're gonna have some place where we can go. Um, the, the I think what they're trying to figure out, and they can't figure this out until they really get back in the office, is how am I gonna use my office space? Are 100% of my employees gonna be coming to the office every day? Is it gonna be a smaller percentage? And the, I, I think employers really don't, uh, it, it's hard for them to project what that scenario is gonna look like and what that reality is gonna feel like until it really happens. And they've been able to get back in the office and really understand who's critical to being in the office, who isn't critical to being in the office. And I think they've learned through the past six, eight months that trying to project or predict, here's what's going to happen, is really hard because whatever they projected or predicted six months ago was different three months ago. So I think they're, they're taking the long view and saying, Let's get back, let's wait and see really what it feels like and what my employees are looking for. And then then we'll figure out what our office space is
3: gonna be like. So right. I would agree with those comments for sure. Um, I think it's interesting that um, it, it feels like the big companies are waiting for someone to go first. Um, you know, United Health Group has people back in their buildings in the suburbs, but they've been pretty quiet about it. Um, you know, downtown especially, I think, you know, when we get a Target or a Wells or one of the bigger firms downtown saying we're going back in and we figured out how to do this, I think others will follow. Um, And I think that it's, um, the other interesting point I think is that it must be working to be virtual. If it was not working and it was totally broken, you know, people would be figuring out a way to get back to the office a lot faster. So there's clearly things that aren't working and aren't working as well. But if it really wasn't working, we'd be, we'd be back to work. So it's, it's kind of shocking to me how well the entire world pivoted and it's still working.
1: Right. Yeah, we've adapted. Yeah, um, Joel. Sorry to make you work so hard to keep this conversation going, but I just want to throw out one more data point. Okay? Oh, you and go. Then, go, then go, I'll go. Send it back back to you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, one piece I know I've heard uh, a number of uh, building owners, property managers, brokers talking about as a potential uh, consequence uh, of the uh, pandemic is you know, tenants may say, yeah, office space is vital, but will they need as much of it? Okay, so really uh, an essential point uh, to be learned. And again, we may not know the answer today, but what Brightline learned uh, with their survey is that those tenants and those corporate entities out there that are looking at reducing Right now, at least today, it's it's in works. They're thinking about it. They're planning it. Um, the numbers uh, that are looking at going in that direction of reducing their square footage. We don't know if that's five percent or or ninety five percent, but reducing is about forty three percent. So less than half, but that's a big number. Okay, now. How that shakes out in the long run, we still don't know. Uh, you know, maybe that number will get halved. It'll get reduced by seventy percent, eighty percent, or, you know, they're they're talking about some marginal stuff. Maybe there's some plans already, if a like pre-pandemic, that's that's lumped into that. We're not sure, but um, you know, some of the uh, concern or projection that hey, you know, given what's gone on and how uh, folks have adapted, as as Lisa's talked about. Um, that could shake out to saying, do we really need all the square footage? Or a, a, as part of that, just given what we've learned from health and safety and COVID and all that, the configuration of our space, is it right? Should we look at it differently? And do we need as much square footage to be able to be safe you know, going forward in the future? So again, any I don't know if there's any comments on that. You
3: know, I think um, that that there are companies that, um, your study showed that only 10%, so they wouldn't go back to having any office space. Um, And I think that, you know, there is gonna be a big shakeup. We don't know what that looks like yet, but um, you know, a couple of things, office um, companies that use office space have continued to grow throughout the pandemic. So those companies and businesses are growing requiring more in theory space and then um, I think that also the um, the amount of space we had really pushed I mean Brett knows this better than me but we had really pushed the, the square feet per person in office spaces down to just a bare minimum um, and so I think people are going to look to spread out again. Joe you coined the phrase the great accelerator I think we're already heading a little bit in that direction and the COVID has pushed us that way you know the millennials are having kids at home and they don't wanna go to the office and hang around a bunch of people in a big long table as much. They kinda like a little bit more private space. And so we're already kind of moving in that direction and this will just accelerate um, that that a little bit, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree with (laughs) Lisa's perspective. The other piece that I would add that um, is really tough to judge is the financial impact for these businesses. That when a company's saying, I'm going to do with less office space uh, post-pandemic than I did pre-pandemic, that a certain element I think is based on, um, as Lisa said, people can work virtually and they can figure out how to make it happen. And maybe that's an alternative that as an employer, you provide your employees. I think another piece of that equation is just from a financial standpoint, and if, if I'm not having people in the office and I'm not having to incur certain costs, whether it's paying for parking for my employees or whatever, um, that right now there's a, you know, with what's happened from an economic standpoint, the companies are very in tune to what's happening from a financial perspective. So, you know, it'd be interesting if someone could say, if your, if your revenue, if your bottom line is gonna be the same once, your employees are back in the office and once everybody's got a vaccine, are, then are you gonna need more or less office space? So I think there's a number of things that are layered on top of the decision-making process for these employers in terms of what they're gonna do. And again, they've got to you know, understand from a financial standpoint, what's my world gonna look like when we're back to something that feels more uh, in line with how we were pre-pandemic, Compared to in the middle of the pandemic. So, um, again, you, just remains to be seen.
3: And don't you think that people tend to say to, to us, what about commercial real estate? I mean, nobody's going to want any commercial real estate <laughs> anymore, you know? And, um, I, you know, there's been real estate involved in every transaction since the beginning of time. So, I mean, we just are going to pivot and figure it out. I had a conversation yesterday with a, a potential tenant who said, this is so strange, I'm sitting in my basement, but I am telling you that we need more space. So we are out going, we're going out to look for a space next week and to increase their office size. He says, it's just feels so strange to be asking for this, but that's what we really need, so. Yeah.
2: Well, along those lines, one of the uh, things that I, I looked up is, um, you know, for those of us, and most of us on the panel were around when 9-11 happened, um, we all remember the discussion was nobody's going to go into a high-rise building. No one's going to go in the upper floors of, of, of a building. And so I, I did some checking, and of the top twenty tallest buildings in the U.S., seven of them have been built since 9/11. Wow. So you know the the COVID situation is one of those things that I think is going to at some point in time. Feel the same that we've learned from it and we've figured something out, but uh, the changes I think are still, you know, we still need to see what's going to happen because we all remember no one was going to go in the higher in the upper floors of a building, and now nearly half of the tallest buildings in the U.S. have been built since
0: 9/11. That's that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, um, let we will dive into tenement. Uh, tenant sentiment in greater detail here too. But before we lose the kind of high level discussion too, does anybody want to talk about kind of the year that was before uh, March, 2020, what the commercial real estate uh, market looked like in our region? Kind of like what Joe was talking about for St. Paul. I just kind of wanted to get that broader perspective. Does anybody have a broader perspective on kind of how it was before March, 2020 and then kind of what happened um, just from throughout our region just to get those high level, that high level view. And then we can dive back into some more of these changes too. But I just didn't want to lose the broader perspective. Um, You know,
3: You know, it was so good that yeah. I was in a conversation with some other women in commercial real estate and we were talking about what we were gonna do when it crashed. I mean, we were feeling really smart. We had everything going on. I just signed a huge deal. We had all kinds of things just happening and, and going in the right way. And, and, um, but I mean, literally two weeks later, you know, we everything was shut down. And I, we had no idea what that looked like. And I think at the time we were thinking, oh, this is just gonna be a couple of weeks and, you know, we'll move on. And, um, and now we have no idea really what we're dealing with. But, you know, the commercial real estate world was rocking, but it was also really steady. And so um, things were just kind of happening status quo versus, now we're all looking at everything totally differently. So um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think what
2: was happening from how real estate was impacting employers was employment was low, employers were growing, everybody's business was doing very well. And so employers were trying to do whatever they could to set themselves up for having the best shot at recruiting employees. Mm-hmm. And that might have been, you know, I want to have the best office chair that they can sit in um, to, you know, we're going to have happy hour in our office once a month. So some of those things that were cultural and then they also changed it to say, we're going to make sure that uh, we're in an office building and we're in an environment that really gives us the opportunity to distinguish and separate ourselves and be distinct in offering something. So it was all about culture. It was all about, uh, you know, how we can hire employees. That was really Mm -hmm. the focus. And culture and cool space and all these things were, you know, at the top of the list of what was important for employers. Uh, What it cost them was part of the equation. And and that's why I, I mentioned the financial piece before. Now the finance piece is much more important in terms of what they're looking at. Just because they're, it's harder to predict what those in businesses, cl- customers and clients are going to do. So th- I think the finance piece is a bigger piece that's impacting lots of businesses, which is then in turn is impacting real estate.
1: Yeah. yeah. What, what I would add, Joel, is um, uh, agree with, uh, you know, what, what the panel has thrown out there and add in the, the whole investment piece. I mean, there was Lots of new product coming on, yeah, okay. uh, which is which is great to see. It's it's a great indicator of where the market is heading. Just in downtown Saint Paul, there's a almost a billion dollar project by Aecom that uh, was in the works, and not that that stopped, but you know everything's just kind of slowed down, okay. um, is is what is what has happened. But prior, as you said, prior to March, um, it was hot out there and uh, had been for a while, and was continuing that way. Um, some people were concerned, like Lisa said, well, you know. Can't go on forever, can it? But um, it had been going on a while and, and uh, pre-pandemic uh, had not indicated that it was gonna slow down. So um, very, very healthy market uh,
0: prior to the pandemic. You See some building renovations continuing to happen. In fact, our building is being renovated now too. Is that just kind of inertia from that those good times or do you think those projects are still gonna be continuing as well? Um, again, Asking everybody to get out their crystal ball <laughs> and make predictions, but uh, any thoughts in that, uh, or do you think its activity is just pretty much stopped until we see what happens? Um, I know that's a crystal ball type question, but
2: just... I think it's really a case by case scenario that you know, depending upon your building, where it's located, what the potential for upside is, what you're trying to solve for when you're making a res- uh, a renovation. I think all those things go into uh, the decision making and all of those elements went into the decision making prior to the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. that dynamic hasn't necessarily changed. I think what has changed is a building owner saying, when am I going to get my return? When am I going to see the the benefits of what I'm doing? Um, And So that's the part of the crystal ball that's really fuzzy.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that tenant value equation then, too. Lisa, I think you were starting to talk about it, too. You know, pre-pandemic office environments were designed where a lot of people in a small space, you know, sharing tables. Maybe it's a hip environment, but it's not exactly COVID-friendly to have people elbow to elbow. Um, In that survey that was out there, too, it shows that, you know, what tenants value is changing. And it was reflected in that survey to um, just to draw from the, um, the survey, some social spaces, such as lounges and rooftop decks, um, on-site cafes, gyms and fitness centers. Those are all kind of going down now in appeals. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, those office environments and now how they might shift as far as Tenants seeing value in other types of things now to um, anyone. I'll throw that out to anyone.
3: You know, I, the survey. It looked like it, it said that there was, um, you know, a really low, like ten percent of of the respondents said that the amended to building amenities were important to them. You know, I've seen people be wooed. You know, most people can't visualize what doesn't exist, and I think you know to the extent that they can. Um, you know, that it's it's a, a good cultural fit. Culture's a big deal. How does the building and the amenities, maybe not necessarily are super important for the business, but how do they fit the culture? And to Brent's point, you know, the building owners were really on the hard sell of how can we help you attract and retain employees? I think going forward, I think those things are actually all gonna be more important. Um, inter- interestingly enough, um, and this relates to both to office and retail and especially downtown. Um, there's, I heard someone talking about the fact that it may be that you're in the office or at your house, you're you're on your computer and you're cranking and you get all your really intense stuff done at home. And then when you get to the office, you are gonna really wanna build relationships and you're going to want to collaborate and you're gonna, um, you might take a little bit more time at lunch to run your errands. So you're gonna spend a little bit more time in the retail than you did before. Cause it used to be, you just were just doing one thing. So it may be that the office is a little bit more of a social and um, engaging situation. And maybe those amenities will be even more important for everybody to kind of get get together and kind of get their out of their house things done, um, you know, on those days that they do get in their car and drive downtown or go to their office in the suburbs.
1: Hey Joel, uh, uh, two items, uh, one in response to the survey uh, question and then uh, building on what Lisa uh, was saying, but. Um, The first is, yeah, with with that particular um, survey question, it is interesting because uh, on the flip end, you're talking about what is less valued. What is now more valued than previously is those flexible short-term leases, okay? Uh, Which makes sense, right? Uh, People want to be able to change if it's necessary, uh, not be locked into something that's seven years long or whatever the case might be. But the other piece that came out of there was increased perception of value with the relationship that the tenant has with the property manager, the building owner, the landlord. Um, they're seeing more value in that maybe than they had in the past, uh, now that they've gone through a good chunk of this uh, pandemic crisis. So that that's an interesting potential change there too. Building on what Lisa was talking about, um, the, the employee piece, which Brett um, hit, a, hit upon earlier, You know, keep in mind, you know, you were talking before Joel about pre-pandemic, okay? Pre-March, remember what we were going through, we were going through, I I wouldn't call it a demographic crisis, but demographic challenge, worker shortage. And we've been going through this um, on an ongoing basis. It, we, you know, for 20 years, 25 years, we've been told this is going to be happening. This is going to be taking place and the demographers could, could see it. And then uh, people kind of open their eyes a little bit and say, yeah, it's getting a little bit tighter. And then we go into an economic slump and it's like, that all goes away temporarily. And then it comes back. And so it was getting worse. And then we went into this economic slump. Well, guess what? When we're done with the economic slump, it's going to be back. And to the point of how does my space help me deal with that uh, uh, recruitment and attraction and retention element is going to be absolutely essential for any employer who wants to be viable in the long term.
2: Mm-hmm. Good. And Joel, the, how, how I would respond to your question about what's going to happen with building amenities to, to address that element is I, I, I would guess that as companies were answering that question on the survey, they were looking through the lens of today. Mm -hmm. And I think today, companies are saying, I don't want my employees from company A interacting with employees from company B. And that happens in these common areas. I don't want that to happen. And that's what we're hearing from our employees. I think Lisa's comment is spot on that as we get back to work, Um, And Lisa and I talked about this, employers are going to be offering alternatives or want alternatives for their employees. And so to have uh, a fitness center that you can exercise at while you're at the office, because guess what? If not everybody has an exercise room at their house, they haven't been able to do anything for who knows however many months. So to be able to get to the office and be able to use that fitness center will be big. If, uh, you know, company A is thinking that we're going to have 20 people back in the office on a typical day of, say, 40 employees, and there happens to be 25 employees that come in someday, well, those five employees can go work in the common areas and and be able to spread out a little bit. So I think having alternatives is going to be really important, and that's something that employers are going to value for their employees, because the employees are going to want alternatives
0: okay what about um other features that tenants might want and the lasting impact of um of this pandemic and and by that i'm kind of thinking of different opportunities for maybe flexible or shorter term leases do you think that's a trend that'll stay um will that have any impact Um, just throwing it out there for
3: reaction well, the, the challenge with short-term leases in office, industrial, and retail space is that there's a big expense in building out the spaces. So, spreading that over a short term, and each tenant wants something individual. Um, you know, and and the lenders are set up to to lend on the value of longer-term leases. So, our whole system, you know, we're our brokerage fees, our property managers, our systems are all set up on longer term leases. So even in retail, you know, where the consumer has a really short attention span, you know, the, there's, there's there's a lot of um, really compelling reasons to do short term leases, but you have to figure out how to build out spaces that can be convertible and used by all parties and then you also have to be able to figure out how to finance those deals. So there's some challenges, but I mean, if you look at the multi-housing model, which has been, you know, the beauty forever and ever and ever, you know, you didn't, you don't get a lot of choices when you move into your apartment, you know, you get, maybe you get to paint a wall or you get your carpets cleaned. But that model has worked forever. So how can we look at that model and adapt it to other property types? And, you know, there's some great people doing some really interesting spec suites. And there's some concepts where restaurants are, um, you know, owners are creating incubator restaurant spaces where if that concept doesn't work, they switch out just a couple things and put another tenant in there. But our systems are not set up for short term. I think they're going to have to adapt. I think we're going to have to figure that out
0: anyone else have any
2: thoughts on that no, i I'd, I'd agree with lisa i think that um as you know used the word alternative uh before with how employers are going to look at things and how businesses are going to look at things i think that uh building owners will try and do what they can from an offering alternative standpoint but there's certain you know arrangements in place that just make it tough to do that um uh, so it, if they could solve it, they I think they'd try and solve it to a certain degree. I don't see it being a wholesale change just because I don't know if the whole arrangement can be wholesale overhauled.
1: Okay. Yeah, Joel, what I would add is that um, while the survey does show an increased interest in the more flexible short-term lease, again, while we're in the pandemic, um, you know, the... There's a reason that uh, there's a prevalence of longer-term leases prior to the pandemic because economically it made sense for, for the various parties There was an incentive for the tenant. Clearly the building owner uh, was incentivized to do that for a variety of reasons. So that's why the marketplace created these. And so once the pandemic is more in the rear view mirror and there's greater comfort with what's going on, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, you're gonna, I think, I believe, that you're gonna see a drift uh, and more of an acceptance that, yeah, a longer-term lease might be okay. There, there might still be some interest in those shorter-term leases, but I think there'll there'll be um, you know more interest in going back to what the business model had been supporting prior to the pandemic.
2: And along those lines, I, I think Lisa, you'd agree with this. The architectural firms are trying to come up with designs that. Uh, create that sort of flexibility that Joe was talking about within the four walls of the tenant space. The furniture dealers are trying to come up with alternatives that provide for that sort of flexibility. So instead of having to spend the money to expand or compact the uh, the four walls of an office space, uh, there's ways that things can be adjusted internally. And I think uh, there's lots of people that are working hard on that. And again, I think the proof will just happen at some time in the future. Yeah. To some extent,
0: we were kind of having that debate about how office space was going to be used in the future, even before the pandemic, you know, began yeah. you know, with yeah. that. You know. Um, so there's that issue, you know, how offices are used and that'll be an ongoing qu- you know, question even when this pandemic is over. Um, But what about the things that maybe are less uh, visible? And so by that, I mean, to what extent do you think like immediate investments in let's say improved building HVAC systems or things like that will be kind of a new criteria uh, in this new leasing environment? Um, Well, I think it's being
1: looked at right now. A number of buildings have already made the investment in better filtration. Uh, with with the air and the expectation of some clients, so I think it really depends on the, the 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 tenant base within a particular property and and you know maybe the size of the building and you know what's involved in terms of the investment. Um, whereas a couple of years ago, you'd be a total outlier to consider something like that. Uh, today, you're considered well, okay, they're they're responding to, to the market, and so there'll be probably a few more uh tenants that kind of expect that and will be shopping for that. I don't know that it's going to be a, a, a major driving factor, the number one element, number two element, but it's certainly going to be moving up the list. Even post-pandemic, I think it will be. Okay.
3: You know, yeah, I think, I, I, go I, ahead, Lisa. Wow. Oh, go ahead, Brett.
2: <laughs> well, I was going to say I think a lot of buildings are doing what they can. Um, and and a lot of that is just increasing and here's my naivete from an engineering standpoint, but the, the filtering process. And if they had been changing filters on a quarterly basis, now they're doing it on an every month basis. They're uh, increasing the, the, you know, the filtering components of it. So I think a lot of that is, is being addressed to the extent that it can. I would say I'm having more questions from prospective tenants. Curious about the path of travel. When, I, when I'm coming into the building, what is the process for me getting to where I come into the building to my office space? And wondering you know, just how that process works. That's probably uh, more of a question that I get than tell me about your filtering system and your mechanicals.
3: Okay. I had to laugh that McDonald's announced that they are going to clean the video screens that the kids play with at the tables after every use and clean the restrooms more frequently, like every hour. I'm like, why weren't you doing that to me I mean, <laughs> it's disgusting. Like,
0: I mean exactly um,
3: but, um, i mean so a lot of this stuff is like thank goodness like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, gross. Um, yeah. I think that um i think that it makes a lot of sense to um you know people are looking at whether they're on the first floor if they have to get in an elevator if they have to take public transportation to their office. Um, we've seen a, a handful of our clients look to uh, freestanding buildings so that they can control their own environment themselves. And um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of those considerations. And again, it's just a matter of all of us to kind of rethink everything we do and how we do it, and find better ways to do things. Yep. yep.
0: Let's let's stay on that subject for just a little bit. Uh, what are some of the broader transformational effects of this pandemic? Um, just on what you were saying to lisa um maybe this is a oversimplification but people looking at spaces maybe urban versus suburban spaces are are those going to be some of that considerations that will have some lasting effect um you know do they want to be in that building with 40 floors and we talked a little bit about maybe that isn't an, an issue but they look at okay um, my workers would have to take public transportation if they were going to work in an urban environment. Is that going to be still on their mind? Are they going to be workers going to be excited to do that as well? What, what are some of the broader transformational effects? Um, you know, not just the pandemic, but, you know, perceptions of safety in urban environments too. Um, I wonder if there are any effects there that will affect commercial real estate too, um, Anyone have thoughts, Brent?
2: Yeah, let me let me chime in on that. Um, as again, trying to look beyond just what we're dealing with today and trying yeah. to project in the future is really challenging. But when I look at what's happening today, I think there's three elements that are impacting people's perception and viewpoint of what's happening. First, the the COVID turmoil, and it has been turmoil from COVID. <laughs> People not exactly sure what's safe, what isn't, and it's impacting their personal health. So from that standpoint, the COVID turmoil has been real. From a you know from some personnel standpoint, then we've talked about the financial piece. I think there's been economic turmoil, and whether it's from the business standpoint or whether it's from the um, uh, uh, an individual standpoint that financial piece has really been challenging uh, for a lot of entities. And uh, we've had the social justice turmoil also. So we've had three things that have really caused a lot of what we've known to be our reality to be now somewhat unsettled. And, uh, but I think that if you look at it and try and, and look in your crystal ball, the COVID turmoil is gonna be done. At some point in time, the vaccine's going to be here, and and people's fears are going to be in the rearview mirror, and so the COVID turmoil piece is going to be done. And if the COVID turmoil piece is done, I'd like to think that the economic turmoil isn't far behind. So if we can solve the COVID and the economic turmoil standpoint, I think, um, and I'm speaking that the urban areas have probably been more impacted by the COVID turmoil, the economic turmoil, the social justice turmoil. But if a couple of those elements can get solved um, in the next year or two, I think it creates a pathway back to those urban areas being vibrant again. Um, you know, that's where the, the theaters are, that's where the museums are, that's where the sports stadiums are. Um, and getting feedback on the street is going to make a huge difference from the perception that there's a lot of bad people out there. I think you know, uh, when you have more good people than bad people, the bad people kind of blend into the background to a certain degree. And right now, there's not a lot of good people that are out walking the street, so I think feet on the street will, will happen especially as the COVID and economic pieces get solved. And and it sure seems like that's gonna be happening here in the next uh, few months to year. So I think the urban areas will be okay. And I think that once those things get solved, the other piece that will come back again is the public transit. That has undoubtedly been an issue for these urban areas and people saying, I don't wanna take public transit. Well, if you can solve the COVID issue and get that health issue to not be a concern, that's one thing that has really helped bolster the urban areas is just the element of public transit being as available there and and really being able to draw from the four corners of the Twin Cities area and have the alternate modes of transit be available. So I think, yeah, if you look at the lens right now, the urban areas have been challenged and there's been turmoil. I think
1: that turmoil is gonna be solved. Um, Joel, to, to respond to your initial question and then uh, play on what Brent said, yeah. uh, the survey did uh, ask that question about, you know, uh, how transformational uh, will the pandemic be? And uh, and they got a 65% positive response that there, it is gonna be transformational. Um, so it, it, it builds on this whole idea of, you know, that, that what, was already taken place has been accelerated the great acceleration, as Lisa said. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, uh, I don't have specifics on that, but going back to uh, what Brett was talking about with, uh, with the whole urban element, um, I, I, I agree uh, with him. What we've seen, and of course the media likes to uh, react any way it can to what it sees as a trending story and will will sell, is oh my god, you know the the, the downtowns. Not only are they going to lose all their office workers, but they're going to lose uh, residents because again, going back to your question before, where were we at pre-pandemic? But we were talking about commercial real estate. But the other piece that had been so incredible. Uh, pre-pandemic was the growth of the urban areas across the country. Minneapolis has just obviously exploded with its downtown population over the last decade. St. Paul, which kind of gets lost in the shovel, has grown since 2010 by 112 percent. It broke 10,000 people finally. Um, That's one of the highest growth rates of any urban area in the nation. Um, So that's where the market was. There was a demand for being downtown. Brett talked about some of the reasons for that uh, in the urban area. And so there was a demand for it. This this trifecta of factors, um, you know, toned that down a bit and some people pulled back from wanting to be in downtown. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, uh, COVID and the resulting economic decline um, has ballooned up the number of homeless and unsheltered individuals. And many of them end up in the downtown areas. And so again, that's, that's unfortunate that, that that situation is taking place. But as Brett says, once we get through COVID, the economy is picking up, we're gonna see probably an improvement in that particular situation. And many of the factors that attracted individuals to the downtown areas, it's gonna be back. We're going to be back at that point. Who knows for sure if it's six months, if it's a year and six months, but somewhere down the line, uh, all those elements that that made it appealing for people to want to live, visit, work in a downtown area, um, we're going to see those again.
3: So I'm really excited about um, what could what this could do to all kinds of different things. I mean, I, but it's also that it's not so. Oh my gosh, we're never going to be the same again. You know. I saw an awesome pair of bell-bottom jeans yesterday. I mean, (laughs) bell-bottoms used to be all the rage and everybody had them, right? Uh, Oh my God, they're coming back, right? So, (laughs) so, I mean, clearly our country was founded on like the downtown. Everyone went downtown to, to, to shop and then, you know, then the farm, you know, things expanded and then you go back downtown again and then they expand. You know, I think... Um, you know, Brent and I, in our younger years had clients that wanted to have a downtown presence, but they were afraid that their suburban clients wouldn't come downtown. So they had a suburban presence as well. We are seeing our clients ask for a presence in both markets now, which is great for the suburbs and it's great for downtown. Um, you know, Deluxe just signed a lease in downtown Minneapolis. They're going to move downtown. And they said they felt like they were a sleepy company and only by moving downtown are they going to change their whole culture and their whole experience and i think even in the suburbs people are looking for ways to live shop eat and work all within a short in a small you know environment so whereas we zoned everything separately cuz that made sense when you know we didn't know how to handle em, 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 you know emissions from from warehouses now I think we're gonna to wanna to kind of intermix those zoning types again and, and those clear lines between living, shopping, working, manufacturing are blurred. I don't think our, our cities and our lenders are ready for what change should happen to keep up with that and even our educators. But um, I think there's, there's really exciting opportunities for rural areas and for, for, for all kinds of different revitalizations to happen because of the, the options that we have going forward
0: yeah for sure well your uh, comment about bell-bottom jeans makes me think of retail um <laughs> you know com- uh, landscape for commercial real estate has changed of course but no sector has been hit uh, more directly it seems uh than retail um and broader implications i mean we're changing obviously the way we shop we're we're uh, shopping online more but uh I wonder what retail looks like, too. I mean, even retail plays a larger, uh, it's a larger, important part of our uh, economy with the Mall of America. But you read, too, that they're having trouble making their payments, too. Does anyone have any comments just on the broader retail environment um, and what that looks like? And, you know, even post-pandemic, as we've all gotten into our habits of shopping online, what will change? Again, I'm asking for you to get out your crystal balls a little bit, too. <laughs> Anybody have comments?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you kind of took a deep breath when you said retail. Yeah. I, did. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't think we're consuming any less. I mean, you know, maybe... It, yeah one quarter or less, you know, whatever, we're going to continue to shop. We're going to continue to buy stuff. We're a throwaway society. Mm-hmm. We're going to always need retail and how sustainable is it that I order a little times candle and from Amazon and it comes in a big package the very next day for yeah. $5 for it. You know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of um, reimagining of how people are gonna live, work, and shop. Um, and you know, retailers were going, were, we're trying to be more experiential to draw you into their stores. Now we're looking at the essential retailers and those are are where the money's at. Um, you know, I think it's gonna, you know, we 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 built too much retail in the you know 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, it's, it's going to be a little bit different, but it's kind of like those jeans, the fads, you know, I was at an outlet mall last night and it's a shell of what it used to be. They used to be all the, the rage and, you know, then they built too many of them and then people figured out that, oh, that's really not like the greatest deal. It's just a separate line of merchandise that they're creating at a lower price point. So, um, you know, that was a fad. And so retail is really, um, you know, really cycles, but I think, we're just going to have to continue to reimagine what those space spaces and places look like and how to distribute those retail goods to the consumer in the most effective way possible.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, people are shopping more. I mean, we have a story coming out in our paper tomorrow um, that shows that people are that this year's online shopping is hitting records too. So people still are continuing to shop, you know, that's for sure. I just wonder about that physical retail space, you know, you, you, that. I just wonder if that will change, if that model will change too, you know, if, if um, like you said, we have too many spaces maybe, or w- what that'll look like. Anybody else have any broader or comments on overall trends, I guess.
2: Um, I actually have more of a question for Lisa along those lines with, I mean, we all read about uh, restaurants closing and different retailers closing and you know, we're talking about it's a number of months, maybe a year plus before this vaccine kicks in and so I'm just theorizing there may be more closures. If a retailer can make it through this, what is going to be the supply and demand for retailers, I mean, if there's fewer retailers, but the demand probably isn't going down, what's gonna happen, is this gonna end up being a boom time for retailers in in a couple of years, or is that too favorable in a, a thought?
3: Well, I mean, back to Joe's comment, it's the great accelerator, right? Like we've been seeing, you know, those companies kind of hang on that could kind of hang on. I mean, if you weren't strong going into this, you're not coming out of it, right? But those strong players are, being a, are able to pivot and do some really smart interesting things. I mean, that's what retail is all about retail and restaurants. It's how to be interesting to the consumer. So I think really smart, strong players are going to be successful. And, and we're seeing, um, you know, some some things that are in leases be able to be negotiated out. So we have the ability to do more with categories and different centers. We're seeing some really good locations become available. And I think some of the restaurants will struggle, but there's great operators that will, you know, hang a shingle somewhere else and reimagine again. you know I think I think there's we're doing a lot of deals. I mean, there's people out there looking for space and and, and really are looking at the long term. I don't think you can be in business and just worry about tomorrow. If you're a really strong operator, you're looking at the long term and how do you plan for this and take advantage of this?
1: You know um, what I would uh, suggest, Joel. I'm I'm not the retail expert that the other panelists are here. Certainly not Lisa, and, and Brent. But from my perspective, uh, what I know of commercial real estate, and more importantly, maybe as a consumer, is um, you know there already was a massive change taking place within retail pre-pandemic. Uh, the the big boxes, most of them, and the, the non-targets and WalMarts of the world uh we're we're struggling as it was and again it just accelerated with uh the pandemic and so as as brett asked the question what's what's going to happen now uh once once we get to the other end of this whole thing um i think what you'll see is you're going to see not uh, an explosion of new big boxes uh but you're going to see some creative uh an explosion maybe of creative small unique um and uh you know kind of one-off um, retailers. Um, the 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 food end of it, that'll come back. People love to get out. They want to get out, socialize, and uh, a number of restaurants that maybe we're familiar with will probably not, unfortunately, not get through this, but um, they'll be replaced, um, and that sounds hard and cruel, but There'll, there'll be a number of entrepreneurs, uh, chefs that, that have been dying to start their own. And, and you'll see just uh, over the next couple of years, uh, this um, you know, massive uh, increase in terms of number of those places, because people, there will be a pent up demand of people wanting to get out. Uh, and so um, that, that I'm not concerned about, but you know, what's the longer term impact of the online uh, at the Amazon of the world and, and just online in general to the bricks and mortar? Um, it, what we saw pre-pandemic is going to continue uh, to a degree. And I think those that will be most impacted are, are, are the big guys with the exception of some of those discounters and uh, home improvement, you know, they, they seem to be doing just fine too, but yeah. um, uh, outside of that, um, you know. Okay.
2: Yeah. I would just add on to what Joe and Lise have said that it doesn't feel like demand for retail, for goods, for, uh dining is gonna go down um when there's opportunities to you know more so than there are today so i don't see the demand going away i think that um supply is down right now and so when people feel more comfortable getting back to uh, a routine that they were familiar with pre-pandemic I think that the demand or the the results for some of these retailers that, as Lisa said, have been able to make it through this and have been able to pivot, I think that there is going to be a, a great upside for them.
3: You know, the other thing to watch for, I think, with retail is um, how retailers use technology in all different ways um, in, in t- to engage the consumer and interact with the consumer to their retailers, smart retailers are investing in a lot of um, artificial intelligence and are looking for ways to um, change your experience so that it's very different from when you walk in the door till the time you check out and also the back of the room and how that's managed. And so there's gonna be a lot of change, I think bringing technology into the retail store, there's not gonna just be rooms of stuff that you have to kind of wheedle, you know, go through. You know you'll walk in a store and it'll tell you to go on that aisle because the stuff that you like is over there you know kind of like facebook tells you what you like you know yeah. <laughs> hey lisa we were talking about how the
2: office space is changing and and what that design could be any theories any ideas is the retail physical space going to change at all in terms of how it's set up how it's marketed anything different physically from a retail standpoint
3: well, I, I just think the footprints are going to be smaller. I mean, you know, there's okay. things in retail that you can't do, you know, you, you can't get your haircut at home, although some people have tried it. <laughs> but, um, um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't do at home, but I do think, you know, you can walk into a space and have a mirror that shows you um, all different kinds of outfits on you. You can touch the fabric and you can order it right from there and it gets delivered to your home. So, You know, footprints in some of those kinds of stores might be smaller. Um, You know, there's, you know, there's just going to be, I think, more of, you know, maybe less front of the house and more back of the house. If I was to, if I was just to guess, Um, we're just going to be able to be more efficient as retailers. Um, You know, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges with this pandemic is everything shut down and there was all these spring goods just sitting there. And then what do you do with that? You know, and when they opened back up, it was summer, you know, so I think, you know, it's,
2: it's a challenging industry, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think people are just used now to shopping in a variety of ways, where before I needed to go to the store to physically see what I was going to buy, try it on, whatever. Um, I think that that's now retail can happen in alternative ways. And I think the retailers that can provide those experiences On a couple of different levels one being really experiential and two being able to your your experience can be actually in my store or it can be online and both of them are efficient and easy that's where i think retail is going to go and i think those would be the retailers that'll be successful
3: you know it's kind of like the the liquor stores that complained when total wine came into the market you know those liquor stores were overcharging us and didn't dust their shelves for a hundred years you know, to be able to go into a store and have all the selection and have it be at a lower price point or whatever, you know, you, it's just—I don't think any industry, especially in the technology age, can just rest on what worked yesterday. We have to constantly be reimagining. And if you know this isn't proof positive, you know, I don't know what is.
1: Yeah, you know, well, one one thing I would I would suggest, Lisa, that uh, reinforces what you said with technology. I think um, in the long run. Um, you know, some people are looking for the casual, slow, I'm going to work my way through the store and just kind of it's the experience itself. I think that'll be less important going forward in the future and how technology and AI work together to a reduce the amount of time I have to invest in that experience, that physical experience, because you know, that's the one thing everybody will want more in their life is time. So if I can pull that piece out. And the other is how do, I, how do I make that experience for the consumer unique and personable for them? Because I have information that can help me do that through the technology and the AI. And so those retailers that can kind of leverage that, which may be difficult for the small shop, but then again, there's an opportunity for the entrepreneur to make it available for the small shop. Um, I think, well, that'll, that'll be another way to shop, as Brent was talking about.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think even the, I even think the big guys have gotten lazy. You know, we were at you know, um, a store last night and, you know, the the exit sign was the only door that was working. And so you went to the entrance and the exit and you're and then there's nobody says hi to you when you walk in. I mean, and you wonder why, you know, two stores down, they were closed and you wonder why, you know, retail. So, I mean, I think retail just needs to step up its game and, and the strong ones will. And it will be it will be good for us. hmm. Mm
0: hmm. Well, in the few moments that we have left, I thought I'd ask kind of a big picture question of everybody. We've talked about a broad number of subjects here commercial real estate, urban environments, retail. Um, you know, I, I see one McKinsey prediction that said, just specifically with work at home, that work at home will only increase. It was 20% before the pandemic, but they think it'll only be 27% after the crisis. So that kind of gets to my bigger picture question for everybody as we wrap up. What do you think will change or what will stay the same? What What will this have, effect will this have um, in broad terms? Um, anybody want to answer that one? Anybody want to start?
2: I've used the word alternative a lot. And I think employers, and I'm focusing on the office market, Joel, I think employers... Um, had a formula that worked for them, that they, they listened to employees and, and then tried to craft what the solution was. I think they're going to continue to listen to employees, but they're going to have a variety of alternatives. And Lisa mentioned it might be urban space, it might be suburban space. Um, I think they'll be, from a design standpoint, they'll be uh, private offices that people will have. There'll be small phone rooms. There'll be large break rooms. There's, I think that the design is going to change um, so that employers can offer their employees alternatives. And I think that the employees are going to value that. There's days that people, are, I think, are going to say, this is my work from home day, and I'm just going to crank it out. And then there's days that they're going to go, you know what, I just got to be in the office, whether it's to socialize, whether it's to collaborate. I think that that alternative is kind of my word. We talked about new normal and flexibility. I think alter, alternates and alternative is gonna be the, the word that employers are gonna to use to you know, what their strategy is gonna be. It's gonna be based on alternatives.
1: Okay. Um, I would suggest, Joel, that that McKinsey number is low. It depends on how you define working from home if it's, you know, as Brett's indicated one day a week, I might choose to do that Um, and and that falls into that, that should then fall into that number because, you know, I'm I'm working from home whereas before, maybe I was a five day a week person in the office. Now I might be four days a week and I'm one day at home or I'm a couple days at home, you know, whatever the case might be. So that that flexibility will be in higher demand as Brett was indicating. And uh, so I think I think what we're going to see is the experiment has worked, pushing people to be able to work from their homes through technology has worked for the most part. There still is a need for the social, face-to-face social interaction in the business setting and a variety of other settings. We still need that. That's not going to go away. But how do you merge the two of them together effectively? And those employers have figured it out and have uh, greater options available in the long run, I think we'll be more successful.
0: Thank you.
3: No, I think I would use kind of the word, you know, balance and what works for people's families. I think that, um, you know, I can now officially come out of the closet. We've been virtual for 20 years. So I, you know, I, it was before it was cool. you came out of the closet. (laughs) Before it was cool to be virtual, before it was cool to be a woman owned commercial real estate company. Um, you know i'm I guess I'm a trendsetter. Um there you, go. <laughs> but, you know we hid behind you know secretarial suite addresses and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I made the decision when I started my company in two thousand um, to or in, in twenty years ago to um, to say, i I was just having my little ones, and I knew the hours that I worked. And um, you know, i was we always had help, but I was around a lot and um and boy, Through this pandemic, I've got to spend great time with my college-aged and recently graduated um, kids. My, I've been teaching my son how to uh, rent our, our residential properties and teaching him the business. And we wouldn't have had that opportunity if COVID hadn't hit. So I'm extremely grateful for this reset and for being able to come out of the closet. Um, oh, but, you know, I think there's, I, I, I know what works and what doesn't work. And there are things that don't work about being virtual. So i I know that people will continue to um, to to utilize office space, but I think that hopefully people will be able to work their schedules, and there won't be such a stringent nine to five. So people can spend more time around their families.
0: Well, I see we're coming up to the end of our hour of our discussion. Thank you all. Thank you, Lisa, Joe, Brent, for your time. And this was a wonderful discussion. We could have gone on long, long past our hour on many of these subjects. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shatler, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.